Hello, welcome to Bottom of the Pack, Andrew Wilson here, along with Sean O'Sullivan. Hello. And our European correspondent from sunny Belgium, Alex McGaskey. Hoia, namiddag. Alles goed? What's what's that now? That is Dutch. How is everyone? Dutch. Good? Yeah, very well. Oh, of course, me and Sean are very, very happy after the weekend of football. Obviously, you're, you're obviously you've cancelled your flights back if you can fly back from from Belgium for the North Melbourne Grand Final yep. appearance. So disappointing for you. Yes, uh, very disappointing. Luckily, this second wave of coronavirus hit the Melbourne uh, suburbs on the weekend, so I, the cancellation wasn't just finals related. Rather, everybody's going to die in Melbourne related. So. <laughs> That's right. We're all going to die. That was the good news. So the good news, the Blues had to win. The bad news is we've, we've probably got about six weeks back, and then we're, we're, all, exactly. we're all gone. Yeah. That's probably the biggest news of the weekend is what's happened, obviously, with coronavirus in Victoria, especially at the Essendon Football Club. Uh, Conor McKenna obviously came down with the virus, um, and then their game was cancelled against Melbourne on Sunday. I'm sure what's going to happen next week as the Bombers take on Carlton, whether they play with no backline, because apparently that's the group that Conor McKenna trained with during the week. So there could be no, no Hurley, no hooker. And etc. from their backline, which is pretty good. Carlton can go back to back first time probably in a while. So, Sean, I'm sure you're hoping that may happen, aren't you? Look, I'm completely unbiased, uh, gentlemen, as you know, when it comes to uh, health related football matters. But uh, rules are rules. <laughs> they got to play. Get them out of there. No Sard, no Hurley, no Hooker, no, no Ridley, no, none of them. No, bad luck. That's just the way we're going to have to uh, roll. I don't make the rules, mate. I just, we just, just play by them. But, um, yeah, I got to admit it's 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 obviously thrown things into a little bit of disarray. Of course, Essendon with yet another positive uh, another positive sample returning. Um, but in all fairness, I, I feel a little bit for uh, for poor Connor McKenna. He's been he's been copying it a bit, and he seems to be the the one person that's completely at fault for for all this. Because of course, he would be the only AFL player that ever um, that left their house or, or did anything wrong over the last month or so. <laughs> All the rest of them have been bunkered down like good little boys, uh, just doing all the right things all the time. So, And you can never really tell where he caught it from anyway. So they're trying to trace his steps and say he was at a – what, he was at a, like a, um, an open for inspection. His lease was up on his property, so he had to go find somewhere to live. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Just fucking stay there and then when they kick him out, just sleep in a fucking – in a street. Um but it's certainly interesting because, um, you know, the rules are, and again, you actually you're talking there before that his little group of eight that he was training in, obviously they would need to go into quarantine as well or could be out for 14 days. Apparently the AFL said to teams, don't, don't have them as forward groups or defensive groups and things like that because if something does happen, it's one out, all out. So sort of share the love or share the, share the, um, the, the lines and the positions between groups, which Essendon seemingly didn't do. They had all their defence together, so they're at risk of having all their their defence out. But it's a, it's a bit of a dog's breakfast at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and we won't know probably, God knows, probably till Thursday, Friday maybe, then what will happen with the, that game on the weekend. So it's going to be interesting decisions to be made. It doesn't make any sense to me why they would even think that they'd be able to play the Carlton Essendon game. I mean, they all share a facility. Like, people went in to disinfect the entire resident facility. So that means, in theory, everybody's come in contact with one of these portions where Conor McGregor was, regardless of this close training group. 
I mean, this, the chances are extremely low that other players got or contracted the virus, but it's not zero. And what if another one of their groups does have it? They don't test positive because they're not symptomatic yet. Yep. And then all of a sudden they've played against Carlton. I mean, you just have to wait an extra week, make sure everyone has two weeks in that football club of self-isolating and job done. Yeah. I wonder what Carlton actually think of it. Do they want to play? Because they may risk them. What's the risk to them for Carlton to actually play? And then someone does contract it. So... Yeah, don't know what the Blues will do there because they, they've got a decision to make as well. And you couldn't blame them if they didn't want to play, did they? Would you, Sean? No, well, it's interesting. I, I, I read somewhere that the, the Blues are preparing as if there is a game on Saturday night it's scheduled for. I'm yeah. not sure. But, uh, so they're, you know, they're doing the same things as they would normally. But it's a, it's a valid point you bring up. Like there might be a couple of people who think, well, hey, we're taking enough risks as it is, you know, playing on in this current uh Condition. Um, why would we make a bigger risk by playing against the team who we know for a fact have a have a positive um, amongst them? I suppose. Yeah, and you got the the, old, the players with the kids as well. So how's it going to affect them? Do they have to move out if they do play against Essendon? So it's very big big decisions to be made. Whether the players can make that choice themselves as individuals, or will the club make the choice on their behalf? I mean, the AFL can't really bemoan any decision that gets made. You wouldn't think. Is the club still training? Like, are, they, are the people who are not called Conor McGregor still working as normal or is everyone had to go into isolation? We didn't get that news here in Belgium. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, did, I watched uh, a bit of 10 news tonight, but they were just doing the reports. Sorry, Meg? I would assume you isolate everybody because if one person is sick, that can spread to a second person at a later date. Yeah. And then so on and so on. So I I don't know what exactly the procedure is. but And as good as you wipe down the equipment at the gym and the balls and whatever, I mean, Mm. are you really going to get 100% uh, cleansing done? So who knows? So find out in the next few days. Let's talk about round three. So it started Thursday night with Richmond taking on Hawthorne at the MCG and a big shock result there with Hawthorne getting home by 32 points. Absolutely destroyed Richmond. Um, Richmond only managed to score three more points than they did the week before against uh, Collingwood in that drawing grand final. Other Tigers just no Dusty, no Tigers. Merg, what do you reckon? Uh, yeah, Tigers are done, mate. That's it. <laughs> Cooked. <laughs> it's a good while it lasted. It's time for a rebuild. Uh, uh yeah, I, I'm pretty sure if you lose one of the best players in the game, your uh, team's going to struggle mightily, especially when he's this guy who can kick it 65 meters and hit anybody on the field at any moment. Um, so it makes a bit of sense. I still expected a lot better from the Richmond players that were there. Um, and when someone like Dusty's missing, geez, their bottom eight players look ordinary. <laughs> uh, which the Hawks, to their credit, I thought they were also pretty poor after round one, uh, the first game back. Um and yeah, they were incredible. They were they were much better. It was a real reversal of fortune for a lot of these teams between the first week back and this week. So I'm surprised by the Tigers losing this handily, but yeah, I guess there, there should be some sort of panic because where was the response after the Collingwood game? Yep. And it's it's interesting. This seemed to be around for for teams responding. I think everyone 
pretty much every team that, that had a shit one last week seemed to find a way to be the underdog in the game this week and, and find a way to to at least perform well, if not if not ultimately mm-hmm. win. And Richmond never looked like it here. Um, Hawthorne, uh, Hawthorne jumped them and it was amazing to see. They're really a completely different side but from what we saw down at Cadinia Park, a ground that we know is extremely difficult to uh, to win at, and only elite sides go to a place <laughs> Park and, and somehow you know lead all the way. And, and <laughs> so, um, you know, it wasn't that big a surprise to see Hawthorne uh, turn it around at more familiar settings. But I mean, you were talking about the out for Richmond, and that certainly didn't help their cause. But gee, Hawthorne had a reasonable in, in the, in the beautiful Jago Mirror returned, and um, he didn't. Uh, he didn't waste any time getting stuck in. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was outstanding in the middle and really took over the primary midfield role. You'd say that from a, I know it's only one game, but certainly he seemed to be the main man as ahead of, you know, as opposed to Tom Mitchell. I, I really thought Jagger O'Meara was, you know, was probably was probably best on ground along with with Chad Wingard. But it, he's a massive plus into that in that midfield. So they've got, you know, O'Meara, Warple, Wingard, Mitchell. Um, you know, Shields in there doing a job. It just adds that bit of extra depth through the through the midfield, and that's and that's where they were getting they were getting first use of the ball through, you know, Segler dominating Soldo in the ruck, and they never they never gave him a sniff, really, did they? Nah, and you didn't mention there Isaac Smith, who obviously benefits greatly from those inside mids. His running ability on Thursday night was uh, next level, and he really tore Richmond apart. On Thursday night, and when you know when he's on, like they look like such a great team, don't it? When he's out there, uh, just run, running the K's up up and down those wings, so he was fantastic. The Richmond forward line, much vaunted one last year. I mean, all the small guys that were always going to bob up and kick goals. I mean, they haven't really been seen this season. Ever Rioli's been quiet so far. I mean, Tom Lynch won the. I didn't win the cop. He won the cop. No, he didn't win it last year. Did he? Went close. Sixty yeah. goals last year. Struggled so far. I mean, you can understand when. Uh, round one, when Jacob Reading touches it up, that's just going to happen to everyone. But um, against... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but yeah, the small forwards just aren't doing the stuff. I mean, they're probably they're, the Vikings playing the best small forward. He wore a Richmond jumper last year. Plays for St Kilda now, and Daniel Butler. So, I mean, did they get rid of the wrong bloke? <laughs> yeah, they're just things aren't cooking in their kitchen at the moment. I mean, they'll be fine, and they'll and they'll come back. I'm I'm sure, but. Uh... <clears throat> Yeah, because uh, you remember, uh, was it last year or the year before they were they started off really really slowly? I think they might have been just outside the eight by about halfway, and then and then got going. It might have been last year, was it? They were about six and six or six and five. They won like their last, they won like their last ten last year. Yeah, and they went whooshka. So it's a you know it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, it's uh, but it's interesting. Is there any anything to maybe the shorter games? In the fact that they just wear teams down, the fact that it's a shorter game, you know, lessens your ability to to do that. Do you do you read anything into that? No, when you give up five goals to nothing in the first quarter, you're obviously not starting well, are you? Where's the pressure then? You allowed the first five goals of the game. I mean, it's too late then anyway. If you're playing a a twenty minute quarter, yeah, yeah, true. Mm. I, well, I do enjoy uh, that after the Hawks got all this criticism for having Ben McAvoy in the back line. They brought in another tall man to play there, that Jack Scrimshaw. Um, so I think their whole back line is basically over 190 centimetres. They have a win. Absolutely haven't seen any sort of mention of this in the media. Uh, everyone's shut up. McAvoy's suddenly the answer back down there again. And 
everything's all working well. Because they had Paul Piopolo was the laid out. So I think uh, Clarkson is just as an F you to everyone goes, oh, you reckon we're too tall? <laughs> we're going to leave our smallest bloke in and bring it up like six foot four <laughs> and still shit it in. It's like, yeah, so that's just, that's just Clarko. All right, Friday night, um, Western Borders took on the Giants. No Josh Kelly, he was out late out in that game. No Toby Green, so... Everyone probably thought things weren't going to be as exciting as it could be, but the doggies always started that game. They throw Nick Haynes to do the toss of the coin um, oh, against Bond. Uh, Sean, what do you think of that move? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a it's a bit villain. I mean, and, and poor old Nick Haynes, he looks, he just looks like a stoner. So he's not the most <laughs> being in the world. You know what I mean? Like a, yeah, I don't know if you sent up I don't know, someone with an angry look on them or something like that. I don't know if you sent up even Callan Ward can get angry or someone like that with a, a real demeanour about them of being quite imposing. It's like Nick Haynes is going like, oh, hey, man. <laughs> yeah, tired. Tired. Good luck. Well, they really scared the shit out of Bond. Like, it was like, yeah, it's, it, well, it clearly didn't work um, in the fact that GWS started the fight and then the Bulldogs finished it because uh, – I think with the the laid out of the laid out of Kelly was always going to uh, to hurt because the Giants just don't have as you can understand they just don't have the depth they once had anymore. So if they're missing a couple of their key guys, so they had Green Green out, Kelly a laid out, and then just to rub salt in the wound, Lockie Whitfield uh, got a whack early doors and was out for the game of concussion. So they they were there for the taking, but um, geez, they were quite aggressive at Bond early, weren't they? Yeah, probably paid. Yeah. Was it payback from the, they beat him in the elimination yeah. final last year. I mean, Bont broke his, with larynx, wasn't it, or something like that. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. But, I mean, still got heated. I mean, it's just a typical push and shove, not, no punches really thrown, but very aggressive. Yeah, it seems fairly, um, as much as that handbag stuff sort of gets full on, it, it kind of did. So, da, da, da. so I think, and what you're noticing is that we're getting smarter, uh, brawlers in the fact that, I've seen this in a couple of games now. As soon as they hear the siren for like quarter time, half time, they realise, right, I can't give away a free kick. So <laughs> I, I am chips in. That's it. I'm, I can do whatever now. Because sometimes they do handbags, they realise as soon as I drag someone to the ground, Buddy Rays is going to run from 370 metres away and pay a free kick in the goal square and, and impact the game. And um, But when the siren goes... And that's what, my favourite thing ever watching. I think it was quarter time, there was a big brawl. I think Lee Fisher, one of my favourite umpires, um, was just in the vicinity, blowing his whistle. That's <laughs> him. <laughs> like that was going to stop him. So there was like 25 blokes in a brawl, ripping jumpers off each other, and here's Lee Fisher. <laughs> guys, guys, cut it out, guys. Blowing this whistle. I'm like, oh, my God. Wouldn't, wouldn't AFL players respond to this? a bit like Pavlov's dog. I mean, yeah. every time they whistle, they just—they just stop and go. Hang on, there's a situation going on. Uh, the police have whistles as well, uh, oh. so clearly it also works in the, with the general population. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah, look, I—I I enjoyed the intensity based on the two teams fighting. I loved that during the bigger brawl, the the sound man turned up the crowd noise, which was yeah, it's a big uh, brawl, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, I, I wasn't overly impressed with this game. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't think it was that great. Uh, it just seemed like the Giants sort of 
punching Bulldogs players and then the Bulldogs players would kick goals. Um, so it was a bit disappointing. Uh, I, I don't really didn't really watch much to the end just because, I mean, it's like eight goals to five goals or how many yeah. did you got? I mean, I've been pretty disappointed with the standard of football uh, since everything's come back this this whole year. Uh but so be it. At least there are some some positives. I see uh, Tim English looked okay uh, for the first time in a, in a little while, which is which is nice that he got to go up against the oldest ruckman in the world. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, it's nice to see the dogs flew the flag. I guess and that's a that's about. Yeah, that's I, a I, I, this was a overall it was a shocking game of football, and the highlight was the. Was the the brawls and also the end of that brawl? I think a quarter time. I think it was a uh, Finlayson had a uh, a sort of off the shoulder jumper number where it was sort of showing a little bit of just a little bit of upper chest and and, and uh, horizontally across, bringing back memories for uh, people of my vintage of uh, Andre the Giant. I think it was WrestleMania four, WrestleMania five, with a little horizontal off the off the shoulder number that I was I was particularly <laughs> I was particularly impressed with, and I think. Um, uh, might have been Aaron Norton because every player has a spare jumper. By half time, he was wearing number forty because he he had two jumpers ripped off him. So he was really getting involved, which was terrific to uh, to see. Um, but the good players for were were back in force for the Bulldogs. Caleb Danieloff, halfback, McRae, Dunkley. Great to see Toby McLean back. For some reason, he wasn't picked in the and Libba and Libba, of course. Yes, who were. Um, Terrific and add that bit of extra grunt and uh, and and aggression. While um, yeah, you look at some of the names on this WS JWS uh, list. You know when they when their list when their depths tested, they've got a lot of um, kids that I'm sure will be okay in time. But um, but yeah, they've they've still got a bit to go. One quick thing on JWS is he sure cooked? I just saw some of his efforts. On, uh, on Friday night. Loves a brawl, which is all that. And I, I love him. He's a funny man. But there's just a couple of efforts there where he's sort of kicking off the ground and he just looks... Oh, I'm not sure if there's too much left in the tank for, for old Eater. Yeah, maybe it's something to keep an eye on yeah, over the next few weeks, see yeah. how he performs. On Saturday, North yeah. Melbourne took on the Swans and the Swans got home by 11 points after a dominant first half of the first quarter by the Roos, but they... With Ben Brown kicking the first two goals, I think, of the game. And then they really did struggle to score after that, Merg. Did you get up to watch this? Yeah, I did. It was 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday. It was a fucking great way. <laughs> and also waking up with no Ben Cunnington in, the, in that side as well, so that probably wasn't great for you either. But what happened to your <laughs> boys? Premiership favourites a week ago, now you lose to the Swans. Again. They can never... Uh, they always struggle. Sydney... For some reason, I would love to know why. Just know how to play North Melbourne, uh, and I think there was a statistic during the week. It was like they've beaten North Melbourne have beaten Sydney like three times in their last twenty meetings or something like this. Um, but credit to the Swans, one of those teams that looked terrible last weekend uh, against the Bombers, looked pretty uh, pretty good uh, <laughs> while they were beating the Ruse. So that was a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, they just seemed to work so hard around the ground and have contested numbers and they were hitting targets and, geez, Tom Papley's uh, too smart for every backman of the North Melbourne Football Club. Um, so 
There were a couple of surprising selections. I'd ex- I expected Marley Williams to come back in to sort of play on play on Papley, but Rhys Shaw, for whatever reason, uh, kept him out. Um, so, yeah, so be it. We had Aiden Bonner come in to make his debut for the club. A really big eight disposal. Fill the void of Cunnington. I used to be... I, I still have... He applies some pressure, which I like, but bloody hell, the forward pressure between last week and this week from the North Melbourne guys was non-existent. And you were watching guys... One who I'd always been a big rap on was Paul Ahern. Just mm-hmm. as a good and thinking he should be in the football team. That guy's just a witch's hat when he doesn't have the football. Um, really, really genuinely slow and lacking any sort of frontal pressure. When you give him the ball, he's fantastic. So uh, I'm a bit worried about where some of these guys fit. Uh, Curtis Taylor, I also expected a bit more pressure out of him, but... Yeah, overall disappointing, but good. You can't be up every week. Uh, just the loss we had to have, you know, in the lead up to finals. <laughs> it's only a month away, it seems. <laughs> um, could you, should you have been, I mean, Sydney were in front at half time, but it seems like you missed a heap of chance, particularly in that second quarter. I think you kicked one goal six in yeah, that second quarter. Half time, half time, Sean, three goals nine north, Sydney five goals three. Yeah, and I just got the feeling that. You really should have probably gone in at half time, maybe a couple of goals up, and you ended up being a, a goal down. And then in the third quarter, Sydney had their time led by Isaac Heaney, and um, you know, and then they got the out to a big lead and couldn't quite rope it back. Yeah, yeah, that's a, another valid point. No, um, I, I was fuck. There's a good player inside of Aaron Hall. There's a really, really good player. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> when he has two bounces and he's bursting through the midfield. He just sets his sights on goal and he will shoot from 65 plus. Instead of, if he can, if someone can somehow teach him to make a 30 meter kick to a man on the lead, fuck me, he's going to be a player. Um, So he had like, towards the end of the first half as well, he was just shooting whenever he got the ball. And it just breaks all of this sort of team momentum that you have. So, despite him having good moments, he has just as many bad moments in a game that just annoy the shit out of me. Aaron, Aaron Hall reminds me of that guy who plays in like a Tuesday night basketball team that is that's convinced he's an elite three point shooter, <laughs> but he's not. But even so, he just keeps jacking them up, just jacking them up, and it's like brick after brick after brick. But it doesn't dent his confidence; he just keeps going. Guys in the key on their own path, and he's like, "No, nah, I'm open." <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's him from about sixty meters out. Like he kicked one from sixty meters out one day, so he's convinced he can do it all the time. <laughs> he just keeps doing it. It's fantastic. He was the same at Gold Coast, so you knew what you were getting. But um, oh, look, after I remember when he was leading the Brownlow after three rounds, oh, uh, yes. one, <laughs> nine perfect vote. Like he, he was fantastic. Fantastic. And then after that, he just was like, I'm the best player in the world. And the conference guy, big time. But yeah, to turn to the Swans, I mean, geez, Josh Kennedy is still such a fucking good player. <laughs> I mean, the handballs he can give out of congestion to teammates on the run. Um, that guy just sets him up for everything. I, I do whinge a lot about Longmire not giving bigger roles to these guys, like Isaac Heaney and Tom Papley in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Um They've got they've got one in Oliver Florent who who seems to be able to get the ball and do some nice things and is a bit of a point of difference. 
Um, yeah, that's that's a, that's my other issue. I don't know. George Hewitt was incredible uh, in terms of stopping Sean Higgins as well. He's one of the premier taggers in the game, so I think I'd be pretty worried if I was any good at football and he stood next to me. Mm. Uh, future games, and that's that's a, a, about it from from my. I hate Sydney, so you know. <laughs> I'm still surprised North Melbourne lost. <laughs> one, uh, one. I'm not. Uh, uh, no, the one, um, <laughs> the, the one guy for Sydney I wanted to give a shout out to, and it might have been a bit of a breakout game for him with James Rowbottom. Uh, he's in a spot. He's got that mad hair. Number eight. Um, looks a contested beast. Looks a real Sydney midfielder. Like he just wins his own footy. He might not be the cleanest in the world, but uh, can contested beast loves a tackle. And I, I thought he was big in that third quarter when Sydney sort of took over the show. He, he seemed to be popping up a lot. So it's interesting, Florent and Robottom, both young guys, and they complement them complement each other really well in the fact that I think Florent, you're more classy outside elite ball user, while Robottom would be a, you're in an under type. So um, that's a couple of kids they can, uh, they can look forward to over the next little while. Uh, Saturday, Twilight Collingwood t- took on St Kilda at the MCG. The Pies getting home by 44 points. Pies were fantastic in that first half, kicking 10 goals to four and looked like they were going to p- post a big score. They only managed the two goals after halftime. In fact, there's only three goals kicked after halftime total in this game. So it was a real crap second half. We thought, you know, Collingwood playing some really, really good footy, uh, Mergen. He was just hoping, like, you know, you get it. This is going to kick on in the second half. They're going to have a big win and just see some great ball movement flying around, but it just ended up being a real struggle and not a great contest in the end. Yeah, I know. I was still disappointed watching after the North Melbourne game. So I, I still kept thinking, fuck, how did he lose to Sydney? That was my main takeaway from the Collingwood St. Kilda game. <laughs> Absolutely fucking ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the pies are. Are a very good team. I also didn't watch the second half of this game because, I mean, it was it was clear to me that it was uh, getting over. But they've just got so many just intelligent football players. Just watching Steel Sidebottom and Scott Pendlebury play together in the same team is um, a pretty fortunate position to be in as as sports fans. Um, yeah, they they have so many guys that can contribute and bob up and kick goals. And it was good to see Jaden Stevenson back. Why was he not in the whole bloody year? He would have beaten Richmond alone yeah. last week. Yes, um, they're 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 a they're a high quality team. They seem to be coached quite well. I don't know if they have the correct uh, systems in place to support uh, any sort of racial issues within the club, which is what I've been. Doing. Um, on the field, what they managed to put out there is extremely good. Yeah, agree. The, uh, <laughs> I think St Kilda fans are getting a little bit carried away. They had a couple of wins and all the new recruits were clicking and this was a good old-fashioned reality check. Um, Collingwood are the real deal. And St Kilda will be fine. St Kilda will be okay. But I think this is an accurate uh, descriptor of, of just how far, you know, off the, the top end of things things they are. Um, I mean, this is a team that's been, for the most part, its core it has been together for quite a little while and they – they just know. They just know what to do. Uh, Taylor Taylor Adams has had a terrific start to the um, a terrific start to the season. There's still some good players still to come back into this into this side and Mason Cox. So um, does he come you know, back in? No, no. Uh, what no. an insult! 
It's a good plan to come back in here and Mason Cox. Thanks. Went straight through to the keeper there with the host, but that's uh, appreciate appreciate you picking that up, Merck. Um No, <laughs> I don't mind him. I'm having a bit of a dig there, but um, Darcy Cameron's going okay. He didn't do anything in this game, but yeah, like you say, Merg, you you said you didn't watch the second half of this. You didn't. That's that's the best move you pulled. Pod, podcast, man. You got to speak. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. shake it, shake your head, shake your head. <laughs> was, yeah, also, if I can just slightly uh, go on a tangent, why does Andrew Wilson have this professional microphone and headphones set up? Sean's sitting in front of a fucking white screen. I'm just sitting at home yelling at my computer. Mate, we need to share this, distribute this wealth. <laughs> <laughs> He does. He for those for those at home, he's looking ever the ever the professional there with the headphones and the. Well, the I fucking boot. do everything, don't I? <laughs> Sean, how are you going with technology, Sean? You got fucking no hope. Merck's no, too far got, away to do it. Merck can do it. We've got this Google Talk thing going, and I, I'm assuming it's working. I, I don't know what's going on. There's a green there's a green light on my screen here, so I'm saying that's a that's a that's a good thing. But yeah, good call, good call, Merck. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, Darcy Cameron. He didn't have to do much. I yeah, mean, when you've got Marchek having his best game of the year, that's uh, that's just as just as good. One of them will pop up. Uh, Guy yeah. I like, uh, I think it's I think his first name's Tyler Brown. The other Brown, Callum's yeah, brother. Yeah, he's yeah, very yeah. good. He's going to be a damn good player. Be taller yeah. than Callum, and then he's got some moves, doesn't he? So when he matures, he's going to be a damn good player for Collingwood, which is, which is going to be annoying. And Josh Dacos as well, also showing signs that he's going to be a he's going to be a player as well. So yeah, good to see a, a team like Collingwood getting some kids. They badly need it. Obviously, they're really struggling for depth and quality players out there. So no, good stuff. Uh, Saturday night, the Lions took on the Eagles at the Gabba, and the Lions got home by thirty points. And the Eagles, I don't know, the wheels are falling off, aren't they? Uh, mentally, it seems a little bit uh, for them being stuck up on the Gold Coast at the moment, but. Yeah, they not, haven't had a great start to, to season 2020, Sean. I mean, they're highly touted, weren't they, to um, be a premiership contender if they keep losing these games and by the time they go home, it may be too late. Well, before I say anything, there are worse places to get stuck than the Gold Coast. I'm just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> well, we really make it sound like it's, you know, they've got no electricity, no running water. You know, they'll be okay. But in saying that, it is... Extremely unfair that due to these COVID circumstances, they have to do have to park themselves. Just a quick one: Why didn't they play Fremantle in Perth first, like, and had an extra week at home before moving, like Adelaide, yeah. Port Adelaide did? Yeah, yeah. Also, they don't travel four weeks in a year. I mean, they travel every other fucking weekend. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting them out of the way now. And then you get to stay home for four fucking weeks. What are you they, whinging about? They, they, they whinge about the travel. They've only travelled once so far this season. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, they've had to stay where they are, the other side of the continent, but they've only travelled once. Um, but no, in all seriousness, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the Perth teams who are both in a, in a hub are, have the collective strike rate of zero and four. Um, they're obviously finding the... They're going tough, and but that underestimates or understates the the mob they're playing against. Um, Brisbane are proving that last year was no fluke. They're um, they're every bit as good as they were uh, last year, and 
and uh, continuing on their, their merry way. Uh, Lockie Neal just somehow keeps getting better. I, I'd, I'd be staggered if he's not leading the, the Brownlow or certainly second to Matthew Rowell. Um, like he's, just <laughs> having, he's continuing on where he, uh, where he left off last time. I don't know what he had possessions-wise, but I'm sure he had a heap. 32 possessions, seven tackles, two goals, seven clearances. Talk about a burger with a lot. Um, but they've got some other kids that are coming along that we, we, we've we sort of been watching out for. Humor Cluggage was enormous in this, 26 cozies and 12 contested possessions. Jared Berry, another that came through that, that draft with, with Humor Cluggage, uh, kicked three goals. Um, you know, Jared Lyons, who, who obviously couldn't squeeze into that elite Adelaide lineup. Um, <laughs> all that Gold Coast midfield. Yeah. All the Gold Coast midfield. There's just a, well, understandable Gold Coast. They knew, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they knew that they had Sir Matthew Rowell coming, so they didn't, uh, they just, they just had to make room. But, uh, but yeah, Adelaide. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, um, They've just got all bases covered. They've got good depth in the midfield. They've got Harris Andrews, who's a gun, a gun fullback, fullback, centre half back. I don't know, key back. Um, you know, they've got winners all over the place, and and they're not going to be losing too many games at, at home. And and I got to admit, obviously, I was watching another game on the Saturday night, which we'll talk about for the next hour or so after this, but. Um, it looked like West Coast sort of hung in there for a while, but uh, Brisbane put the foot down in the, in the second half, and and uh, and Nick Nat aside, didn't have too many um, too many winners on the ground. Liam Ryan kicked three goals, was a good effort from a forward pocket. Uh, Gaff's continued his good year, but yeah, things just aren't cooking for the Eagles, and I think they are a bit they are a bit shitty that they're they're locked away the other side of the continent. And be brutally honest. I, I don't blame them. They've they've sort of got the they got the rough end of the stick here a little bit, haven't they? No, oh, they can bloody move on. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't way in the other side of the world because you know it's just the other side of Australia. Everyone still speaks English. It's completely fine. Um, I just think it's the, the weather conditions that they have to play in and their kicking and marking. Uh, style that Adam Simpson has introduced and had them be very successful with. They just can't chip it around. The ball doesn't come that much. There's just all it is is congestion in this game uh, in the on the Gold Coast or in Queensland. So even the best people who are like users of the football, I mean, you look at Hugh McCluggage, his disposal efficiency is like fifty percent. Um, Andrew Gaff, fifty percent. Uh, Tim Kelly, twenty nine percent. Like these yeah. guys are just. All it is is just get the ball, kick it as far away from somewhere, and then run to that location. And that's not the Eagles' game plan. They like to control and uh, finesse yeah. the ball on the ground. Um, Brisbane, they play in Queensland quite frequently, and I think they are much more used to grit and grind uh, football rather than uh, the Eagles. And I would just like to say, just I watched most of this game because I hate Carlton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a bad person, Murphy. Brisbane have also found uh, found another young kid, Brandon Stasovic. Yes. He, uh, looks very good just off that back line slash wing. Um, just gets involved. Seems like a smart smart player. I, I assume he's son of, is he? Son of Craig? Oh, it's a common oh, name. 
Former Collingwood and Brisbane great. I'm going to go. I'm just going to run with it. Son of. Brother. Nephew, I don't know. Something. I think they are related. If you say something with confidence, people will believe you. The score of uh, former Collingwood. Collingwood Premiership player. I think he played in 1999. I think he did, uh, yes. Before moving up to the Gold Cup. To Brisbane, wasn't he, after that? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, the other Saturday night game, boys. Carlton. What? Can't, can't recall. Can't recall. What was that game? Uh, Saturday, Saturday night. night, Geelong took on Carlton down at Cadinia Park, and the Blues with a start to finish oh. win. Never trailed once, led for the full. How many minutes? 30, 60. How many minutes have we got? 64 minutes oh, game, right. whatever it is now, something like that. But the Blues got home by two points after getting a 42 point lead at some stage through the game, and the Fortunately, the Cats stormed back in a very nervous time for us as Carlton supporter Sean, wasn't it? Those dying few minutes. But um, Carlton were fantastic, weren't they, um, on Saturday night? Uh, that, that first half that they played, in all seriousness, when you take into consideration the fact that, you know, Geelong have looked like world beaters, uh, Carlton's first quarters have been, uh, well, non-existent. Well, they wish they were non-existent. They were non-existent from their perspective, not from the opposition's perspective. Uh, and to come out the way they did, right from the very start, uh, Murphy, Gibbs and Murphy with a clearance and a pass down the throat of Eddie Betts kicks a goal and they were just up and going from the, the get-go. Yeah. Really nice. It's interesting listening to Merg before talking about uh, West Coast and their style of football around that that kick-mark style. Um <laughs> Hey, he said Gibbs, not Crips. I watched the wrong day. <laughs> I thought, thought Andreas Everett was good up forward, <laughs> and really, I think Dibby Earl really provided an option up forward. Brett Johnson was really winning that inside inside yeah, ball, yeah. and the job Mick Martin did on Tom Hawkins, I thought. <laughs> It's still life for the old dog yet. <laughs> and I'm finally now the finally now the critics might get off Pagan's back. <laughs> he can actually with all these rejects from other clubs, he can really make something happen. I, I think the next ten years look really, really bright for Carlton. <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? Gibbs um, to Murphy. Murphy. <laughs> Crips to Murphy to uh to to advance and it's funny, it all started with Eddie Betts and it all ended with Eddie Betts in the middle, but that, that first half from the Blues was uh, was just electric. And that's what I was talking about, the West Coast style of football where kick mark. Carlton's kicking and their marking was incredible, Willow, wasn't it? They were just hitting targets everywhere. Yeah, that use of half-back was uh, brilliant. I think uh, Jacob Wiedering, although he did the, obviously did a fantastic job on... Um, Tom Hawkins. Tom Hawkins, yeah, but his ability, his use by foot is great as well, which then makes him a, a more um, damaging player because he can actually use him coming out from half back with his like pinpoint thirty meter passes and things like that. So he's been um, really great, in it. and then Doherty um, seemed to be back to his all Australian form from a couple of years ago, just uh, marshalling um, that back line and setting, setting us up. It's great stuff. And the uh, and the, the greatest ruckman in the history of the modern game, the pit. A lot of people, a lot of people will say Grawn and Grawn and Gundy, uh, <laughs> and Gundy. Oh, how well am I going tonight? Uh, but the, the obvious one, I think the one that'll go down as as one of the great ruckmen is the Frenchman, Mark Pitonet. the new Frenchman. Everyone I thought he was him. Italian. 
Everyone calls him Pitnet, which I just think is uncultured. Uh, it's Pitone, and he's a beast. He is just a big beast. And can you use the football? You know, some big blokes that you get a little worried about when they've got the ball, but he lowers his eyes and, and, and does some uh, – does some great things, but... You can't be surprised. I mean, Reece Stanley had a good game last week. He was going to play two in a row. Yeah, he was never going to play two in a row. <laughs> um, but uh, Geelong were getting beaten at their own game. They're getting beaten in the middle. They had Ablett and Selwood and Dangerfield all in there. And Blues were just... Were completely dominant. It was, no one was more surprised than... We just had than, Cripps in there. It was Cripps and Pitney, one out. Or two out versus yeah. those four. And we just dominated. Just Cripps and two two winning. Winning. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and at three-quarter time, Geelong had, had pressed a couple of times and sort of got within four goals at different stages, but Carlton went and got a goal when they uh, when they needed it. Um, and at three-quarter time, we were thinking... Oh, well, how far? How far? Percentage booster. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Geelong uh, woke from their slumber and I'm not... A, I think the ball crossed halfway maybe twice in the last <laughs> quarter. <laughs> we scored a point. Oh, it was it was literally literally one way traffic. It was um, the closest we got to our forward line was the centre bounce when it came up to the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely extraordinary, and it just and you couldn't like you can say Carlton were tired, but they just they could not get near it like. Uh, just couldn't get near it. And Geelong, you know, as Geelong can do down at Canadia Park, just started turning it on and and their good players were stepping up and and got within got within a goal with a good few minutes to go. And then slowly but surely started ruining opportunity after opportunity to, to win the game. In the end, when you when you watch the last five minutes, you're thinking how on earth did Geelong not actually win this? Yeah, but we had the Grind Myers play on, which Doherty was brilliant, saved it on the yeah. goal line. The, the Ablett miss. Ablett miss. Ablett. The, that was the bad. That was really bad. But then we got a bit of luck too when Simpson touched the Duncan snap. Yep. Yeah, and got his, just a fingertip to it. But yeah, probably more the Ablett. I think Ablett kicks that. It's a two point game with about four minutes to go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, we you. had no hope of hanging on whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Well, Absolutely running on empty. We had absolute uh, donuts. Yeah, fortunately, he... one moment that really uh, kind of ruined Geelong's chances of winning this game. And I, I don't know how you felt about it, Andrew. I don't think I asked you. But it was when uh, Tom Hawkins took a long set shot for goal and it was going just straight oh. in the middle. Yes. And in an incredible act of defensive community. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he did have a good one. You want your big man on the goal line, punching the ball through. Yes. He absolutely jumped and met it at the apex of his leap, which is probably one of the better ones in the AFL, because he jumped about five metres above the Carlton player. Was on this <laughs> <laughs> and he just, on the goal line, double-fisted the ball. Right <laughs> back into play about 30 metres out from goal. On the It was incredible. This bike should be... Liam Jones in way around the back line. That was an incredible piece it's a of strange play. It's always a strange play when players do the double fist instead of marking it, but when Radagli's on the goal line, we could let it go for a goal or marked it. And then Geelong probably win. Um, it was an unbelievable decision. Bash back in the play, can't get the rebound. Away we go. Good times. 
He had about seven options. And he called He just get out of the way as an option. I'm not sure if he should be the next soccer goalkeeper or the Australian volleyball team should be calling. That was a mad spike down. Just uh, And when I watched it at the time, this is how flummoxed I was. Oh, that's clever. He's kept the ball alive rather than let it go through for a point. But I realised hey, he was standing between the two big posts. He's, He's kept it alive instead of letting it go through for a goal. Fucking market. It's not so clever. Oh, he did have a good day because he knocked out Luke Dallas with a head clash as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> the best day is over. But he's a good player. He'll bounce back. <laughs> oh, what a player. Uh. <laughs> Somebody was doing there's a there's a guy on Twitter who does votes for Carlton games all the time and gives yeah, you know, just Carlton like best and fairest votes. He goes Rana Galia one. He couldn't have won it without him, and it's true. <laughs> oh, but it, oh, it was just the best. And he hit it like twenty meters. It's only a rebound fifty. <laughs> Did he win the golden fist? Oh, oh sure. He has to be up there for the most unique way. Yeah. Oh, it, it was just glorious. <laughs> and the fact that he lost the goal, like, what do you say in the rooms? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like my you bad know? guy, sorry. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, As someone who's fucked up in countless times on a footy field, I can relate. What you do, what Radigalia needed to do as soon as you walked in the rooms is find Grand Myers and go, mate, what the fuck was that? Yes. Divert <laughs> <Good> attention. <laughs> Turn up Myers Costas. And then turn around. you got to kick them <laughs> in the hope that no one remembers what right. you did in the second quarter. <laughs> oh, it was great. It really right. topped off a wonderful night. But in all fairness, those last two minutes, Willow, oh. I wasn't. I wasn't a good person to be around. <laughs> no, nah. uh, that guy Eddie Betts. Yeah, what was it three oh, on one basically? One, and he just laid that tackle um, there tackle. in the middle on Henry and got the free kick, and then yeah, went down. He kicked the point, didn't he? That was the only score of the quarter, and that was probably after the siren. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. You know, to get is, there any, um, is there any news whether the the broadcast companies are going to release the Zoom footage of the Carlton fans during the last few minutes? Because I would just love to hear the conversations that oh. are going on in some rooms. Uh, Oh, we're fucked. Fuck, <laughs> not again. Yeah. We're going to shoot again. They're all just shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's holy slow shit. <laughs> that would be pretty good. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to hear it. <laughs> uh, all right, Sunday, Gold Coast took on Adelaide. Uh, this game shifted to the 3 o'clock start. Because of the uh, Essendon and uh, Melbourne postponement, the Suns smashed Adelaide by fifty-three points. Uh, brilliant again, Matt Rao, fantastic again. Why isn't he just captain now? I mean, we spoke about this before the podcast started. That's a fair question. Why not just making captain now? It's going to happen. He'll happen next year, Meg. Uh, look, I think it's, he still needs a couple more. Oh, yeah, he needs a few more years. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted because Sean's camera. 
has just slipped above his head, and all you can see is with this extremely shiny semicircle. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes his eyes will bob up. Yeah, it was. Oh, dear, mate, there you go. <laughs> Have you got my um, shot now, mate? <laughs> no, he, he definitely oozes of leadership. Uh, but I think one of the worries for me, I don't, I don't think he uh, has anything to worry about in his entire life for, no. for as long as he um, But some players, after you give them the captaincy, things do change a little bit because they seem to have other responsibilities around the footy club, things that I'm sure he looks like he would absolutely embrace. But the bond since getting the, the lone captaincy at the Bulldogs hasn't been really his most productive few games. Uh, there were a fair few players that I can remember that sort of struggled with this burden of captaincy. And um, maybe it's just best to let the kid play for the first couple of years and, fuck, he's, he's yeah. good to watch. You've got yeah. captain now, so he'll lead Could, him straight. Couldn't disagree, couldn't disagree more. That should, <laughs> should actually make the change now. No offence to the current leadership group. Toss them all out. Uh, the leadership group, the Gold Coast Suns going forward in alphabetical order, Raul, Matthew, that is all. That is all you need. <laughs> that is leadership group. You just need him. My only concern for him is that that complexion in the Gold Coast. Yes. <laughs> that worries me. That's not a great fit. I'm just going to put that on. You know, that's... Uh, Jago Mir was a great fit. Just bronzed up a, an absolute troop. We've got a complete Adonis on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Uh, Lockie Moore, the most beautiful footballer in the world. He yep. takes up a treat, looks wonderful on the Gold Coast. He's loving bit life, a, isn't he? Bit of a round peg in a square hole from a complexion perspective there, uh, Matthew Arthur. He'll have to um he'll have to work through that, but uh he he can do everything. So I, I have no reason why he'll be in three years' time he'll be somehow bronzed as well. So question, uh Sean, Gold Coast good, Adelaide really bad. Or was the truth somewhere in the uh, middle? Uh, option option C, all of the above. Um, <laughs> look, Gold Coast are off to a flyer, and it, and and good on them, and and that's great. Um, they've had a few things to their advantage. Obviously, they're you know they're playing home games at the moment, and everyone's fit and, and up and about, um, and it's early in the season. And what you find that even teams that aren't that good when they win their few games for the year, they tend to win them early in the year. As the year goes on and everyone starts to get worn down, it's um, it's harder yards for these younger sides. So this is the time to this is the time to cash in and make the most of it. But look, there might be a bit more to this rather than just just that because not only are their kids doing well, they they've recruited pretty well. Obviously, Lockie Well is really starting to hit his straps. He's been there a couple of years now. Um, but you look at guys like um, you know Hugh Greenwood and Brandon Ellis, the two guys that have, have come from uh, you know experiences at other other clubs. Brandon Ellis, a two time Premiership player, and just gives them that extra bit of just solid bodies in there and a bit of experience. Um, ben King's going to be like just a gun full forward for many many years to come. He's he's the real deal. Um, we're talking about Ruckman. I, I know we all agree that Mark Pitney is the best Ruckman in the comp, but Jared Witts would have to be in the conversation to be in the in the top few. He's uh, He sort of slips under the radar in all seriousness when we talk uh, Gorn, Grundy, and then we probably talk um, Todlington, Goldstein. But you know, Jared Witts has been an incredible recruit for them. For, uh, Colin, he must have been up there a good five or six years now, is it? Yeah, it seems like that, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, he's just reliable. He's there every week and does his job. And um, he's a terrific ruckman and, and just doesn't get talked about, I think, because he's been in a side that, um, you know, a side that it's clearly struggled. But, uh, you know, he's... He does things ruckmen don't do very well, or the majority. I mean, he's got a, quite a nice left foot. He can yeah. uh, dribble goals through. He's a pretty unique because he's also extremely big and tall and just a big seven footer. Um, yeah. There were so many gold. I guess it's easy to be impressive when you're playing this uh, Adelaide Crows team. Um, yeah. There were just so many Gold Coast players that looked great. It felt like every time Adelaide bombed the ball into their forward 50, where you'd think Tex Walker and Darcy Fogarty and to a lesser extent Tom Lynch could potentially compete in the air. Guys like Ballard, uh, Sam Collins, and Lukosius were just marking the football yeah. in these back 50 contests. It was crazy. Um, this young kid, this Connor Buderick, who was, yeah. Uh, yeah. does some just very nice things. Darcy McPherson, just kicking, kicking a little goal of the year contender. That was um, wow. They've got these young players that have all, these middle ground players have really developed into productive guys these last couple of weeks, albeit against uh, the West Coast Eagles in their absolute worst possible conditions and the Adelaide Crows on a football ground, which is... <laughs> which is their football conditions. Um, yeah, for the, I mean, for me, for the Crows, they were ordinary. Um, there is a lot of monotony in their game. There's not a lot of people who can uh, do a lot of exciting things with the football. Uh, poor old Wayne Malira got injured during the week. He's out for the next couple of months. Uh, Seedsman tried, uh, got the ball a few times. He'll make some mistakes, but so be it. Um, this young kid that debuted for them, Will Hamill, did a couple of nice things. Yeah, right. he, wasn't, he wasn't the worst player in the world. Uh, it was good to see Tom Duday back as well. Um, I guess it's good to be – it's easy to be impressive in that back line, uh, how much ball is there. But other than that, geez, they've got some um, some real decisions to make over the next couple of years. And Personally, it's uh, I always worry when there's a brand-new coach who's got to be in charge of things like this because uh, – Jeez, you must be uncertain about which game plan you should go with, what you should be teaching. There's so many fires to start putting out. Uh, how do you go about addressing these things? And uh, we'll see if it makes or breaks Matthew Nix, I guess. And what did you guys think of the Twitter fight at the end? Rashudo oh. versus Greenwood. That was uh, well done by uh, Hugh, wasn't it? <laughs> good, by, good by both players. I was, uh, appreciate, it was good, good serve from... Uh, from uh, Rue and then the return from Greenwood it was a it was a good rally. I, I think Hugh wins because uh, <laughs> I, I'd rather be in Hugh's position than uh, than Rue's just at the just at the minute. I I don't know why a director of football or whatever he, he actually is um, needs to get involved in that yeah. in that stuff. I just I don't think it's quite becoming even when he was in the media during the week, sort of trying to. To justify, you know, some of the players leaving, why they left, and things like that. There's a there's a way to do that, and I think the way he did it wasn't wasn't the wasn't the right way, especially when the circumstances that they they, they find themselves in. What why are they why are they that bad? Because would you argue they're the worst team in the comp at the moment? If we stop right now, they're the worst, aren't they? Yeah, except there's, yeah. there's not, no one who's going to win a game for them, is there? There's no guy. All plotters in the midfield. I mean, the Crouch boys are that. Roy Sloan, I mean, we know he's a good player, but um, he's not going to tear a game apart, is he, with his pace and things like that. Tex Walker, I mean, 
Was he even good before he got injured? I mean, is he? Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't done a lot recently as well. In and gets, I mean, good bloke though. So you know, he's always going to get a game. Great, great fella. They're just flat, aren't they? I mean, who's their stars? Like Rory Laird's gone quiet. No, no flair. No, no run off half back. You know, just guys to take the game on. They're just, it's just all the same. But a lot of those guys that you mentioned, they were the guys that were there when they had that dominant. Mm-hmm. Season where they ended up making the making the grand final. So, what what's changed now? I mean, the Crouch brothers were always what they what they are. Like, it's not like they've slowed down or anything. That's just what they are. Rory Sloan's, you know, what he is. Laird's still doing his thing across half back. Well, but it's but it's clearly it's something more than that that's that's going on there. I'd say footy's changed a bit in the last few years, in general. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I'd say the midfield structures that clubs use are, I mean, there, there seems to be often one player who's extremely dynamic. Uh, you just have to kind of shut down. You, you just can't have, at least to me, a man who lives in Belgium and doesn't work anywhere near football. Um, you can't have these sorts of guys who are just, for example, with North Melbourne, I've watched it when there was Ben Cunnington and Jack Zebel and uh, let's insert a, a third monotonous man in there. Jed didn't there. The midfield didn't work extremely well. And now, from what I saw on the weekend, usually Shaw has one of those guys in there, one of Zeebel and Cunnington. And the rest are Higgins or Jai Simpkin, who's been good. And I just think Adelaide haven't got that at the moment. Um, they used to have a lot more dare in their kicking as well. I mean, Brody Smith, I remember leaving or finishing watching Adelaide games and just thinking, bloody hell, that guy can spot a t-. You just don't want him getting the ball anywhere because yeah. he will just 50 metres and hit a guy on the chest, he's been injured a lot, so he um, no longer seems to be really the same player. Uh, a lot of this passion, I mean, Rory Sloan, I used to love him as a player because he would just crash and bash and just will himself, and he got injured a lot. Uh, and he's, I, I don't know how much he's still the same player and how much he needs to get some more confidence in his body. Um, they've also lost a lot of uh, fairly important players, I would say, in the in, in the players that Mark Rusciuto has listed. <laughs> uh, Jake was fairly important to that team. Um, he's the, the first one that kind of pops into my head. Jake Kelly hasn't exactly replaced him, but I thought he was uh, one of the one of the good players of Adelaide because he, he was able to really shut down Alex Sexton, who I would have thought in this sort of game would love to just feast on some easy goals. Yeah. Uh, not in the case, but look, there was another change. You've got a, you've got a, a rookie coach in his first year trying to install a new game plan, trying to install some new things into the players. And I guess that stuff is going to take a lot of time. Uh, so there's, it's a bit of a perfect storm of everything. Yeah, the two best forwards probably from the premiership year was probably Jenkins and Eddie Betts, weren't they, who now are elsewhere. So, and Charlie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, they've got a long road ahead, haven't they? So mm. it's going to be interesting to see what happened because, I mean, they, you know, Adelaide, they've – Think they run South Australia, don't they? The Adelaide Football Club, they're a lot better than Port Adelaide in every sense. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. The final game of the round was Fremantle taking on Port Adelaide at Metricon Stadium as well with the power getting the job done by 29 points. Stockers started well in this one, but after a quarter of time, they were outplayed as the rain came down. Charlie Dixon, it's surprising. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen him take marks like that. And then especially in this wet weather, Merg, it was an incredible effort by um, Big Charlie. He looked, he looked back. Uh, 
He's, geez, that team is dangerous when he's uh, up forward. Shades of Jay Schultz during the oh, glory era of uh, oh, oh, <laughs> nah, he's, he's an extremely big boy, and when he's clunking things and going back and kicking goals, and he has a bit of that uh, arrogance that Charlie can have, um, it can only mean good things for the Port Adelaide Football Club, and it is very dangerous for the opposition, such as this week, the poor old Fremantle Dockers. Um, yeah, the, the, this game was it was strange because it just got in, it was a nice start for the game between the Freo and Port. Both were pretty even during that first quarter. I believe I started believing in Frio to actually be the first West Coast team, uh, the first yes Western Australian team to win in Queensland this year. Um, but that second quarter, as Port started blowing them away, the rain started coming in, and geez, that rain absolutely bucketed down, uh, destroyed a lot of these things. But the Port players kept, continued on fighting. I mean, Ollie Wines, welcome back. Yeah, after the suspension, finished. Um, but then, as, as I complained about uh, monotony in the midfield, Port seems to be able to do it a little bit with uh, Wines and Boak and uh, Tom Rockliffe these, and Brad Ebert. These aren't the fastest men in the world. Uh, so here it seems to work, but they've got some of these uh, some of these good users off the half-back line with uh, Trent McKenzie, who can just 16 kicks in a game where it rained about 50 centimetres. Bloke didn't handball it. McKenzie <laughs> boots it. Welcome back. And uh, young Darcy Byrne-Jones was quite nice. Hamish Hartlett. They can get the ball into some of these guys' hands and uh, do some nice things with it. Yeah, one of the great comebacks, Trent McKenzie. He was oh, absolutely staggered. He was still on the list. Absolutely staggered. Wasn't he rookied originally by the power? Yeah. Probably, yeah. I think, yeah. His two brothers um, play for the almighty Deer Park in the Western Region Football League. Oh, do they really? Yes. Oh, do so they're probably on. They're probably on more money than Trent. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've, they they folded for this season. They're not playing. Do you hark? They've uh, pulled out. If this season does go ahead. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Back to Trent, okay. Sean. Uh, sorry. Back to Trent. Yeah, back to Trent. Well, of course, we remember Trent might have even been an original Gold Coast son. Would that be? He was playing off a off a halfback flank, and then he sort of fell out of favour there a little bit at Gold Coast, and they started. Due to injuries, mainly I think playing him as a, a key defender, so he started playing on blokes who were a lot bigger than him, and that's that's not his go. Like he's he's a sort of rebounding half back, and there are a couple of kicks, even with that wet footy, he just just winds up the leg. It takes him a while to kick it, so you want to make him a good space, but he winds it up and then just absolutely unleashes. It's a glorious thing to watch, and it is it is great to see him back. It was great to see Ollie Wines back. Um, and that forward line looks dangerous. I, I like, I must admit, I'm a fan of young um, uh, Todd Marshall. I think he shows signs that he's a great foil for for Dixon because Charlie's the sort of bloke that will attract a lot of defenders because he's just such a big man, which, you know, leaves guys like uh, uh, Marshall to, to be a second marking option. And then uh, Rosie had a quiet one, but you've got him and Robbie Gray uh, going through there as well. Westhoff can, can play either end. Um, but the midfield seems to be working well for Port. Uh, Lysette more than doing a job in the ruck after sort of being a bit half pregnant with Ryder there. Like he wasn't really a forward, he wasn't really a ruckman, and I think he was originally recruited just to. And I think the reason he left West Coast was he wanted to be a number one ruck, and he's now got that opportunity and seems to be um, seems to be seems to be taking it. Travis Bokes continue on his form from from 2019. He was enormous in, in this one as well, and. 
fair play to Ferrer. They sort of fought back again towards the end, but um, they're going to be one of those sides, Ferrer, that they'll, they'll have their moments in games, but whether they'll have that ability to put four quarters together um, might be a test. Again, Fife and Walters, Fife in particular, was just a, took a massive contested mark in the forward line. He had four blokes hanging off him. The torrential rain was pouring, and he still juked it. He's, he's quite an incredible player. And my man, Matt Taberner, again, just showing, <laughs> just showing signs. Kicked a couple of goals again. I'm just saying there's a, there's a superstar in there waiting to break out. But uh, no, Port, Port uh, undefeated and, um, yeah, going on pretty nicely. Do you think they met the top four? Uh, they certainly could. Yeah, why not? They're, um, yeah, they're up and about at the moment. Um, I couldn't tip a winner to save myself in footy. <laughs> I'm not going to predict. Uh, I'm not going to predict anything. But look, they're um, they've got the right sort of age group as well to be a good side. So they've got you know a little bit of youth there, but a lot of experienced players who have been around a while. So that tends to make you think that maybe this is this is sustainable for them. All right, let's look ahead to round four. Uh, starting Thursday night up in Sydney with the Swans taking on the Western Bulldogs. News just through. It's a recording that uh, Dunkley is out for a couple of weeks with some syndesmosis. Who are you tipping, Merg? Um, oh, look, after their uh, their game on Saturday, gee, I don't think the Swans will lose again. Um, <laughs> uh, really, really good team. Uh, yeah, I, I really think the Swans will win, actually, especially if Josh Dunkley's out. He's uh, an important player for that Bulldogs team. Sean? Uh, at the SCG, you, yeah, you'd probably have to go with go with Sydney, but with no confidence. Yeah, no confidence. I'm going to tip the doggies. Friday night, it is the Giants taking on Collingwood up at uh, Giants Stadium. So, yeah, must win now for uh, GWS taking on Pies, who are uh, yeah, obviously in good form last week. I'll probably tip the Pies in this one, Sean. Uh, yeah, I'll tip the Pies, but uh, hopefully if... Uh, if the Giants can get Kelly Whitfield and Green, Green back, um, that might make things that might make things interesting. And they'd want to show something after their pretty ordinary effort on the weekend. But you can't tip against Collingwood, mate. Nick, uh, I would like to absolutely uh, repeat what Sean said. All right. in the- All right, excellent. Saturday, you got the, the power <laughs> taking on the Eagles at Metricon. Uh, who you got? You think you have to go power, wouldn't you? Look, the power have been undefeated in that little Queensland hub uh, just quietly. So, you know, they're loving it. They're, they're only a few thousand kilometres away from their family, whereas West Coast players are, what, 5,000 or so kilometres. So that must be a <laughs> – it's a huge difference mentally to know that your family is 2,000 kilometres closer to you than uh, than the other team. So I think that's – out of that reason only, where, uh, Port Adelaide will beat West Coast. Sean? That's true. When you're sitting under a high ball and you know that, that your family is that much closer, <laughs> I, I might go a bit harder. I might go a bit harder at it now. Um, <laughs> Port Adelaide at, at the fortress that is a metricon for them. Uh, yeah, you have to tip Port. Yeah. Port uh, uh, the Twilight game is two teams coming off bad losses last week. St Kilda hosting Richmond at Marvel. Expect Richmond to bounce back, Sean. I do, but the fact that it's at Marvel has me uh, a little aroused for the chances of St Kilda. I think they play better footy. Uh, they play better footy there, but yeah, Richmond. Richmond need to come back here. So, so yeah, you probably probably tip Richmond. 
Yeah, it's a, Richmond playing at Marvel is a bit like uh, Fremantle or West Coast playing at the MCG. So yeah. um, pretty rare sight. Uh, look, if Dustin Martin's back, Richmond are obviously a chance. If he's not, I would swing the balance towards St Kilda because Richmond were really poor. All right, SNN Carlton, uh, do we tip or not? Oh, I, I tip the Carlton forwards are going to have a big day. <laughs> I tip this game will not happen. All right. <laughs> I'll just go Carlton if it does. How, how Carlton will it be to lose? They, they bring <laughs> like six kids from the Little League to play in defence and they beat us. Like, <laughs> All right, the other Saturday night game is the Suns taking on the Dockers at Metricon. I'm not surprised there. Man, what a feast for football in Queensland. I know. They're really attacking this market. I don't think I've seen anything about the Gold Coast Suns that suggests that they should uh, be losing this game. I just want to see Matthew Rowell go one-on-one with Nate Fife and just completely tower <laughs> Make it look like an absolute goose. I just cannot wait for it. Um, like <laughs> said, it's just great to see somewhere like Gold Coast that really just does not give a shit about AFL getting all the games. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's really is wonderful. Um, yeah, Gold Coast. I'm going to dock it, so I just think maybe, yeah, the bubble will burst a little bit after a couple of good wins by the Suns. Sunday, Lions take on the Crows at the Gabba. I expect the Lions to win this one comfortably, Sean. Oh, oh, oh this could be. This could be like, you know, in Rocky when Apollo Creed was about to be knocked out by Ivan Drago and they're screaming at, at Rocky, throw in the damn towel. <laughs> this is going to be one of those. This, this could be, this could be highly unattractive. I know it's shorter quarters and 100 point results are highly unlikely. I wouldn't shock me here. Um, do Adelaide play, uh, West Coast at some point in the next couple of weeks. Where Adelaide's first win will come from, and I think that might be their only chance. Uh, nah, West Coast can play I, Richmond the following week. If I was Mark Rusciuto, I would be selling the West Coast game and absolutely moving it up to Metricon because that's the only chance to be the Eagles. Um, yeah, but Brisbane will uh, get a pretty comfortable win here. Yeah, uh, mid the Twilight game, Melbourne taking on Geelong at the MCG. So. Melbourne having the break. Cats after a disappointing loss against Carlton. Uh, I'll probably pick them in the bounce back, Merg. Who are you tipping? Yeah, I would uh, I'd tip the Cats. I mean, teams after the bye usually sort of struggle to get their field <laughs> back. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take the Cats bounce back. And I still don't believe in the, the team yeah. at all. Oh, well, Melbourne had a big win, apparently, if you just check their Twitter. They, they had a, a dominant display on the MCG. So I think with the confidence they've picked up, they're every chance of knocking off the... Uh, Knocking off the cats. <laughs> the final game in the round is good for Merg because it's a 6 p.m. start Australian Eastern Standard Time. Hawthorne taking on North Melbourne. Who you got, Merg? Can you bounce back? Oh, I can't believe North Melbourne got a game that begins after 1 p.m. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not playing the North Melbourne games between like 6 a.m. and 9 in the morning in Australia <laughs> to compete with breakfast shows. It's a really good yeah, time for you, isn't it? It is a really good time. Just to ruin my weekend, I'm very excited to have the last game of Sunday. Uh, look, I, I'm not um, I'm not super bullish because Hawthorne is another one of these teams that just seem to be pretty. They seem to execute a game plan quite well. Uh, they're quite a disciplined team, similar to Sydney, which uh, can worry me a little bit against North Melbourne. But you know, North by ten goals. 
<laughs> Sean, I, th- I think North can. Uh, I think North can actually bounce back. I think they can win. <laughs> you try not to laugh. There you go. <laughs> oh, serious? No, oh, okay. I'm going to go Hawthorne. I think they'll be able to get the job done. All right, we'll wrap this up now. Anything to plug, boys? Um, Cancer, how's it going? Cured? Uh, Look, it's progressing. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll do a couple of big experiments in the next few weeks and then uh, get ready to publish my manuscript towards the end of the year, and um, that should make the news. I don't know about Australia, but it'll make the news here. All right, Sean? How's Gambler going? Is, can we expect anything anything from him shortly? Uh, Gambler's been a very smart individual and hasn't been betting on footy, which has been good. As you've noticed, that pretty much every underdog in every game has pretty much won. So but Gambler's advice at the moment is whoever you're thinking of, go with the other mob. All right. Cool. I've got nothing. So we'll, we'll leave this podcast now and uh, speak to you uh, t- next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.